Welcome to 5-Minute Finance, a podcast that explores topics that are impacting your money. Join us as we discuss what is moving the economy, markets, stocks, and personal finance. This podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Before acting on any financial advice, you should consult a financial professional who can review your specific financial situation. Any opinions expressed by the hosts or guests are their own and do not reflect the opinion of LVM Capital Management. Clients or employees of LVM Capital Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in the podcast. Welcome to 5-Minute Finance. Tyler and Jordan here. It is September 24th, opening day for the Ryder Cup. So if you hear an additional cheering in the background, that's what you'll hear. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about employee stock options, restricted stock units, or risk additional risk that you're taking on with these. So to start, we'll look at employee stock options. They are granted by an employer to an employee, typically as an incentive for the employee to stay with the company, as well as provide you know additional bonus or performance pay. The employee receives the stock that they can exercise at a later date at a predetermined price. That price is called the strike price. These options vest over several years with different schedules. So maybe a better way to do this is give an example. So Bill receives 100 shares of Stryker in the form of a stock option in 2015 when Stryker was trading at about $100 a share. The strike price at the time of grant was $150 with the expiration of December 2020. The price of Stryker at expiration or at the end of 2020 was about $240 a share. So these options are now in the money. That is when the price of the stock at expiration is greater than the strike price. So his profit in this transaction would be the 100 shares times the $240 price less the cost of the option, which is the 100 shares times the $150 strike price. Doing the math behind that, that's about $24,000 less $15,000 or $9,000 gain in that transaction from the stock option. If Stryker was below $150 at the end of the exercise window, they would expire worthless. So Jordan, can you talk a little bit about the tax ramifications for that transaction? Yeah. So this would be a non-qualified stock option, and these are usually taxed at the investor's ordinary income tax rate, meaning you're going to see it, it kind of come through like compensation. So payroll taxes will be withheld on that. You're going to recognize ordinary income if you do what's called a cashless exercise. So you're not putting up money to buy the shares and then subsequently sell them. You're essentially using a portion of the shares to cover the cost of exercising those stock options. Again, being recognized as ordinary income or payroll taxes. You also have incentive stock options. These are a little different. There are no taxes due when you elect to exercise the options, they're not immediately taxed as ordinary income. You have the option to pony up the money and buy the basis. So buy the shares and the cost that they were offered to you at. And if you hold them for a certain period of time and continue to work for the employer, those can be subject to long-term capital gain rates, uh, which are much are more preferential to ordinary income tax rates. Yeah. Very good. All right. So now let's talk a little bit about restricted stock units. It's another form of incentive which shares are granted and vested over the course of several years. A pretty common schedule for these restricted shares are about four years, and sometimes you'll have them grant or they will vest a certain percentage each of those years. 
So an example of this, let's say Megan receives a thousand RSU or restricted stock units uh, from her employer Pfizer with a vesting schedule of four years with 25% of those thousand restricted stock units vesting each year. So she was granted those in 2021. And then now a year later in 2022, 250 of those 1000 RSUs vest. If Pfizer is trading at about $50 a share at the time of vesting, she would receive the 250 shares times the $50 stock price or $12,500 in value. RSUs don't require the stock to be trading at or above a strike price like we just had in our previous example for stock options. So Megan would then report that $12,500 as taxable wages, and she could either sell the shares immediately or she can continue to hold those. So Jordan, can you talk a little bit about the differences if she were to sell it now versus holding and what are the tax ramifications? Yeah. So I, I think you might've mentioned this a little bit, but they're not, the taxes aren't due immediately when they're issued, but when they, when they vest, I mean, again, these are going to look like the non-qualified stock options. So you're paying at ordinary income rates. If you continue to hold them for more than a year, you can elect to have, you know, long-term capital gains treatment, which again, generally is more preferential to ordinary income tax rates. Um, you're looking at maybe 15 or 20%, depending on where your bracket falls. Legislation saying this might go up to 25%. So we'll stay tuned, probably do another episode on that when it comes. Um, so again, you're looking at ordinary income when those fast and then long-term, if you hold it for longer than a year and then subsequently sell the shares uh, after that holding period. Right. Okay. So there are also other opportunities employees may have to buy company stock or or get more exposure to company stock. So there are some companies that have programs where employee can buy the shares at a discount to the current price. And so this combined with the other employee incentives with restricted stock units and employee stock options, the question we get a lot from clients is, now I have a large portion of my portfolio or net worth tied up in a single company and the single company also happens to pay me. So how much is too much allocation or risk to a single company? Right. We get this question a lot and even outside of stock units, you know, what is proper position sizing? And I guess this introduces another level of risk when you have both compensation coming from, let's just pick on Pfizer and a large portion of your investment portfolios in Pfizer stock or stock options. You know, when we buy a position here, maybe up to 5% potentially. If you see a good potential, I think over double digits in a portfolio, we start to you know, ask questions. Right. Yeah. And the other piece of this is the, you know, if you look at how you could potentially gain value in the future uh, for retirement and you have your the value of your portfolio as well as which would be kind of just the capital you have, you also have human capital. And your human capital is basically the the value or the you know discounting all of your earnings for the rest of you know your working career. And so typically when you're younger and you receive these, most of your value is tied up in you earning more money in the future. Um, so you have more human capital, so you probably have the ability to take on a little more single company specific risk. Whereas as you age and get closer to retirement, most of your your value is probably in your portfolio as you're probably not going to be working as long. So your human capital starts to diminish. And so that probably reduces the ability to take risk in a single company, specifically one that is also paying you. Right. 
No, I, I would agree with that. And you look at, you know, there's the easy examples of people who got it right where you've had, you know, a single company exposure. Let's just pick on Jeff Bezos, right? You know, a ton of it is tied up in Amazon stock, done extremely well through the concentration. That can go the other way too for our listeners who uh, were around in the Enron days. If you had a lot of company stock in Enron, that didn't work out very well in retirement. So the, the concentration risk can kind of be a double-edged sword. Yeah, I think, you know, in in finance, a lot of the quotes that goes around is concentration is a good way to get wealthy or rich, whereas diversification kind of helps you stay rich. So those are kind of some of the things that you want to balance as you think about this. But, you know, there there are a lot of clients that may feel like 20% or even 30% in a single company they are comfortable with. Whereas others may say, you know, 10% is my limit. And if you even take a look at the S&P 500 and you look at Apple, Apple's about 6% roughly of the S&P 500. That might be a good way to think about it is what is the largest company and what is that weight in the, in a typical index and say, maybe that's my, you know, the risk I'm willing to take up to, up to that amount. Good. Well, I think we'll we'll end it there. A little longer on this podcast, the five minute finance is subject to inflation now. And so we've seen the episodes go a bit over, but thanks for sticking with us and continue to send us questions as you have them. 